He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, the, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as the Jacksonville Jaguars off a victory in Houston yesterday. Now have a stranglehold on the AFC South. They are two games clear of the field, really three, if you get into tiebreakers and the such. And now it's all about big game hunting for the Jaguars. The South is pretty much, I won't say wrapped up, but it's close to it. The Jaguars would probably have to lose, golly, four of their last six minimum to not win the division. But it's big game hunting because now you start taking eyes on the three seed, the two seed, dare I say home field advantage. And that begins one week from tonight. First time in 12 years, Monday Night Football will return to Jacksonville as the Cincinnati Bengals roll in. But we got a lot of time to think about that. We got a lot of time to discuss that for the rest of the week. We got a terrific guest lineup tonight here on Hacker After Dark coming up in about 15 minutes. My buddy Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. We'll recap the wins over Tennessee yesterday over Houston, and we'll certainly preview Cincinnati with Brian Sexton coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, it is Monday night coaching here on Hacker After Dark with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he is with us every Monday night. So Brian Sexton and Dave Campo coming up within the next 60 minutes. But as we always do, to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right. So two weeks ago tonight, as a matter of fact, we were sitting here talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars and the sky was falling. That's what happens after you lose at home 34-3 to and embarrass yourself on national television, which that game against San Francisco was aired to about 70% of the country. And at that point, we said, all right, this season's going to go one of two ways. You're going to learn from that and grow and mature, or you're going to let it crush you. And which way would the Jaguars go? Well, two weeks later, it's clear the where they went. The Jacksonville Jaguars used that to their advantage, they grew from it, they learned from it, they knock off Tennessee, they go into Houston and beat a very good Texan team, and now that San Francisco game seems like a long time ago. You're 8-3, and you're tied in the loss column for the best in the AFC conference, you're a half game behind Baltimore and you get to play them in a couple of weeks. You have the same record as Kansas City, although they do own a tiebreaker. 
So we'll see what happens. You have the tiebreaker over the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins, Jaguars, Ravens, Chiefs, all with three losses, all battling for playoff positioning. Kudos to Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and the leadership on this Jaguar football team. San Francisco, a loss like that could have crushed you, man. That could have sent this season into a tailspin. It did not. They learned from it. They grew from it. They used it to their advantage. And now you have back-to-back wins and dominating win over Tennessee and a big win over Houston in which the offense and Trevor Lawrence has now thrown for over 620 yards over the last two games. This, Jaguar fans, is what the Jaguar offense expected to look like, what we expected it to look like in training camp. We have seen it come to fruition over the last couple of games. So it's a lot of fun now. Wasn't fun two weeks ago. It's fun now, and it's going to be a lot of fun next week when Monday Night Football returns for the first time in 12 years. Again, no Joe Burrow and a very desperate Cincinnati Bengal football team will come in here one week from tonight. So that's the big deal of the night when it comes to the Jaguars. Again, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, and Dave Campo both coming up within the hour. I also wanted to spend a little bit of time here in our first segment with a second big deal of the night, and that revolves around the Florida Gators. Their season has come to an end at 5-7. and seven. Florida State gets it done in the swamp Saturday night. In case you have not seen, there are reports out this evening that Billy Napier has fired two defensive coaches, John Spencer, the D-line coach, and more, uh, maybe a bigger name, bigger surprise, Corey Raymond, the defensive backs coach. Both have been let go, according to reports out of Gainesville. Where to begin on the Florida Gators? You know, I said on Saturday night on social media, don't be sad. Or don't, it, it, what did I say? It's like the season's over. You need to rejoice, basically. All right? Don't be sad. Or no, don't be happy that it happened. That's what it was. Don't be happy that it happened. Be happy that it's over. And that's where I think Gator fans are. The last five weeks were terrible. Terrible. You allow a fourth and 17 to Missouri. They beat you. Arkansas, inexcusably, comes into the swamp and beats you. You get absolutely embarrassed by the Georgia Bulldogs here in Jacksonville. You allow 700 yards to LSU. And a backup quarterback in Tate Rodemaker beats you for Florida State. But it's okay because they play hard, right? There's a lot of fight in them. That's what I hear all the time. Ah, Hacker, it's all right. There's a lot of fight. They're battling. Okay, great. If that is where you have been beaten down to as a Florida Gator fan, a team that had the fun and gun with Steve Spurrier, Danny Warfel winning a Heisman, Tim Tebow and the spread with Urban Meyer, three Heisman Trophy winners in their history, three-time national champions, And what do I hear this year after a five-game losing streak? They're battling. 
They're showing a lot of heart. They're not giving up. You know what that is? That is a coping mechanism. That's all that is. You should not be satisfied with the University of Florida, quote, showing heart and battling. How would that go over in the state of Alabama right now if they lost five games in a row? How would that go over at Michigan or at Ohio State, at Notre Dame? They're battling. They're showing a lot of heart. And then we get to the culture. Well, they're battling and they're showing a lot of heart because of the culture that's going on in Gainesville. Well, let's examine that culture from Saturday night, shall we? You had a defensive lineman get kicked out of the game for hawking a loogie in somebody's face on the field. Yeah, that's a lot of culture right there. You had two defensive backs essentially trying to kill Tate Rodemaker when he was sliding down five yards shy of a first down on a key third down late in the fourth quarter. Targeting, ejected. Second Gator player to get ejected Saturday night. Yeah, that's a lot of culture. That's good stuff. That's a lot of battle, a lot of fight, a lot of competing. You get two guys ejected in that game. You got Eugene Wilson when a coach tries to stop him from getting into it with a Florida State defensive back, just completely shoving the coach's hand off in a violent fashion. Once again, that's a lot of culture. You got to love to see that if you're a Gator fan. It's coping mechanisms, man. This season sucked. This season was terrible. It is unacceptable to go 11-14 and 14 in two years at the University of Florida. 11-14 and 14 in two years. I don't care how hard they fight. I don't care if they're showing toughness. They're not giving up. If that makes you sleep better at night, then brother, more power to you. To me, it's down to wins and losses. And right now, you're losing far more than you're winning which gets me to Billy Napier. I don't think they should fire Billy Napier. I've said repeatedly that he has to have a minimum of three years. Minimum. But I have more concerns now than I did a month ago. There's no doubt about that. Same problems are happening over and over and over. You get a safety in the Florida State game. You're up 12 nothing. ETN returns a kickoff to the 46-yard line. All the momentum in the world, you have it in that second quarter. And what do you do on first down? You run a double reverse pass that you get called for intentional grounding for that completely changed the complexion of that football game. Good heavens, that was awful. There is no defense for that. None. That was a terrible play call, a game-altering play call. Because less than three minutes later, Florida State's in the end zone before the half, and it's 12-7, and the game was completely and totally different. That's on Billy Napier. The culture that he's instilling with guys spitting in faces and throwing their coaches' hands off of them and getting targeting penalties in the late stages of the fourth quarter. I don't know, man. Again, Billy Napier deserves three years. I think it's lunacy to fire anybody after two. But to say that I'm not more concerned now than I was a month ago would be inaccurate. 
And there is no doubt going into 2024 that he is going to be on one of the hottest seats, not only in the conference, but probably in the country. Come May and June, when ESPN and CBS and all these national publications put out their coaching hot seat rankings, odds are Billy Napier is going to be right at the top. And have you seen that schedule next year for Florida? Have you seen that thing? 11 Power 5 opponents. 11. You could argue it is one of the toughest schedules in the history of the Florida Gators. Your out-of-conference includes UCF, Miami, and Florida State. Not to mention your SEC opponents with Georgia and LSU. I think Texas is on there next year. Ole Miss, I believe. Texas A&M. It's insane. And if a coach is on the hot seat going into that, and that's the gauntlet you have to go through in 2024, who on earth has confidence this is going to be an 8 or 9 win Florida team? They better hit the portal, and they better hit it hard, man. You better take a lesson or two from Mike Norvell in Tallahassee, and you better go into that portal, and you better get some dudes out of there and try to salvage this recruiting class, try to get it you know, to a top five or certainly remain in the top ten and get Graham Mertz back to maybe compete with DJ Lagway next year and hope. Because if I'm on the hot seat, if I'm Billy Napier and I have that gauntlet ahead of me, things need to drastically change in the next six or seven months in Gainesville. No more of this they're battling or they're competing. You think Tim Tebow would have want to heard that in 2006 or seven or eight? Oh, Tim, it's okay you lost five in a row, no problem. You're battling, man. You're competing. You're hanging in there. Good stuff. You think that would have gone over well with Danny Warfel and Mike Peterson and Javon Kurse and Johnny Rutledge back in the mid-90s with Steve Spurrier? Hey, old ball coach, it's okay you're losing, man. Your guys are battling. You're instilling a culture, man. You're competing. Absolute coping mechanism. Season was terrible. Call it what it is. You were embarrassing the last five games. You didn't just lose to Florida State when you're spitting in faces and targeting and doing this and that to your coach. and It was nonsense, man. Nonsense on Saturday. Terrible way to end the year. Terrible. And we'll see what happens. Apparently the change has already begun tonight as Billy Napier reportedly has dismissed two defensive coaches, Spencer and Raymond, off that Gator defensive coaching staff. More on Florida, Florida State, and the fallout there, the Knowles. Good, kudos to them. You go into the swamp with a backup quarterback and you win the game, you fall behind 12 nothing in that environment and you win the game. Mike Norvell, Florida State, you deserve that side from the swamp. You deserve to carry that gator head out there. You were the more well-coached, the more disciplined, the better football team. Kudos to you. That cost me my gator card, whatever. That was embarrassing at times on Saturday night for the Orange and Blue. Six four one ten ten is the phone number. Again, more on that, but back into the Jaguars. Let's talk about this eight and three football team. Let's talk about the big wins over Tennessee, over Houston. Let's preview one week from tonight when Cincinnati rolls in. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. The guy is an absolute Jaguar encyclopedia. We love talking with him, and he joins us next. Hacker after dark on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And as always, 
We are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-3 and three on the year after a good road division win in Houston. And one week from right now, Monday Night Football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in, golly, over a decade, I believe, when Cincinnati rolls in. With all that being said, Brian Sexton from Jaguars.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, hope your Thanksgiving was well, man. How are you? I'm good. It's been 12 years. The uh, The last Monday Night Football appearance was Mel Tucker's first game as the interim head coach. Wow, yeah. It was the week that they announced Shad Khan was the prospective owner of the Jaguars, and it was the San Diego Chargers who rolled in here and rolled over the Jaguars that day. It was ugly. It was 38-14. to 14. But they played two games in 11, if you recall. It was Blaine Gabbert's rookie season, and Josh Scobie kicked four field goals in a Monday night game in which uh, the Jaguars won 12-7, to 7, and John Gruden famously called out Blaine Gabbert for his pocket presence, and everything seemed to go as- asunder from there. But it's been a long time. Jack Rio was the head coach. Blaine Gabbert was a rookie. Shad Khan was just buying the team. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time since Monday Night Football has been here. It's what happens, though, when you got Doug Peterson, you got Trevor Lawrence. I mean, look, Brian, the last time you and I spoke was two weeks ago. At that point, the sky was falling, right? San Francisco 34-3, and people were panicking. But you and I said at the time, you beat Tennessee, you beat Houston, you take control of the division, and then the national folks will come back for Monday Night Football, and lo and behold, that exact scenario played out. Two great wins by the Jaguars in the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, it, it was right after that 49ers game that the word focus was bandied about by a lot of different people. And with the result on the field, for good reason. You know, you get beat 34-3 to coming off your bye week in a game that everybody called a measuring stick game. Yeah, focus is just one thing that can be called into account. But you and I talked that day, and people in the building were talking. Win two games in the division, go to 8-3, and three, and you're right where you want to be. They've got this thing by the throat right now. All they have to do is take care of their business. They control their own destiny. And if they continue to do that, two things happen. One is you win the division title and you have a home playoff game. But if you knock off the Ravens, right, and keep winning, you could host the playoffs. You could, believe it or not, have a first-round bye, depending on how things go with Kansas City. So there's a lot of reasons to play well. And this team has found a renewed focus. This coach is very good at getting this team to perform, not just on the field, but on the practice field and in the classrooms. He has a very nice edge to him as a former player, as a Super Bowl winning coach. And when he talked about focusing, when he urged his players to find a different level of focus, well, they've done it the last two weeks, and it's a good sign going forward. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, Trevor Lawrence, 620-plus yards passing over the last two wins. Your thoughts on his performance, and is it a coincidence that Zay Jones is back and the numbers are improving? What's your thought with that situation? No, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, there's just such a comfort level with Zay. But if you think like a basketball fan or a basketball coach, you know, you hear them talk about spacing so often, about creating shots by where guys are on the court. 
it's sort of the same thing in football. When Zay Jones is out there, you can't just throw a linebacker on him when he lines up as the second slot receiver. You've got to have a guy who is all about where is number seven. You've got to pay attention because he's got that big speed. He can get down the field. So guess what happens? Your fastest corner has to know where he's at. Well, then who's going to cover Calvin Ridley? The spacing issue has been so beneficial for Ridley. And you saw him come to life yesterday in the second half. Five catches, right? But four of them were on the two drives that gave the Jaguars a 24-14 lead in the third quarter. It was great stuff. Zay Jones has a chemistry with the quarterback, but he also spaces the field so that other guys can go and make plays. Who would have thought when they signed Zay Jones last spring, spring of 2022, that he would become the central figure in how everything just clicks? But he is. He is a terrific weapon and a really good teammate. Brian, yesterday the Jaguars had six guys that had 30 receiving yards or more. That's crazy, right? Six guys <laughs> that had 30 receiving yards or more. And if you look at the season stats, Ingram, Kirk, and Ridley – are all at 47 catches or more. I mean, you talk about distribution of the football. They're taking it to another level here in Jacksonville. Well, this quarterback sees the field so well. And, and Doug was just on his news conference talking about how much he is improving. It's, it's time on task. And, yes, this is his third season. But this is that moment where you go from taking what the defense gives you to dictating to the defense and he's starting to do that and you know when you take what Doug and Press and Mike McCoy are able to do with all the different weapons as the quarterback feels comfortable behind an offensive line he was barely touched yesterday and the only sack he's given up in the in the past two weeks was when he ran out of bounds against the Titans so it, it's it's a lot of different things but it's all working to make the quarterback hyper efficient and if that's the way he's going to play Man, I like their chances. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's been very sharp. And you mentioned the O-line. You know, look, when the trade deadline came and went, people were upset about the pass rush. And we'll get to that in a moment because that was a great performance by them yesterday. But the one move they did make, Brian, was Ezra Cleveland. And you're thinking at the time, all right, that's weird, but let's, let's just see what happens. And then all of a sudden Cam Robinson goes down yesterday at Houston Walker Whittle then slides out to left, and in comes Ezra Cleveland, 42. Career starts at Minnesota, and that offensive line was nothing short of sensational in the pass game yesterday. It really shows the move Balky made. At the time, people questioned it, but man alive, did it pay dividends yesterday. Well, look, for you and I and all of your listeners, it's easy to sit or to stand on the outside and look and identify a need and match it with a player at the trade deadline, right? That's what we were doing with, you know, Chase Young or choose the pass rusher that you were interested in. But in reality, the Jaguars on the inside know what the demands are on their salary cap, where they're going to need to be able to use draft picks and where they can afford to send draft picks. They knew that they weren't very deep on offensive line. They knew that they would need a seventh offensive lineman to be able to come in and play. And, and that Tyler Shatley, for everything he gives you in terms of break glass in case of emergency, in his 10th season, he's just not as mobile as he's been and wasn't playing as well as they wanted him to when he was at guard. So that's why they made the move and went and grabbed Ezra Cleveland for, what, a fifth, a sixth-round pick? You can do that. But with all the players the Jaguars are going to want to and need to sign in the spring, 
and the draft picks that they didn't want to give up for a pass rusher, I think they made the smart move. Because, look, the pass rush was really, really good yesterday. I mean, really good. That quarterback made plays on the run, but he was on the run because the Jaguars forced him out of the pocket, and he wasn't comfortable sitting back there. Not with Josh Allen and Trayvon coming off the edge. Not with Foley and Roy pushing the pocket and Smoot as well. They knew what this team needed, and they went and they got it. Now back to the question about the offensive line. I talked to Jeff Logan this morning, and he just you know shook his head when I asked him, is Ezra Cleveland their best option at left guard? He said he's the best left guard on the roster. So you know, you're going to slide Walker Little out for however long you're going to be without Cam Robinson. Walker is a tackle, right? That's what they see him as. That's what he sees himself as. Cleveland sees himself as a guard. So I think you've got a really good combination here. And, and they need to be better inside. They need to get more push off the ball on third down and two, which has been really difficult on this team this year. So hopefully Cleveland in the lineup gives them more push and allows them to run the ball on third and two instead of pitching it or throwing it. Because third down and two, you ought to be able to come up with those yards. Couple of more for Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, you alluded to Josh Allen earlier. He was an absolute ferocious monster yesterday. Just huge sacks in the fourth quarter that really stalled what the Texans were trying to do and caused that 58-yard field goal to come up literally about a foot short there at the end of the game. Um, you know, look, for all for the lack of pass rush conversation in the offseason, Josh Allen has certainly done his part. Trayvon Walker. I think it's improving. You're starting to see guys like Roy Robertson-Harris get a little bit in the backfield as well. But clearly, Josh Allen was the absolute star of that unit yesterday. Nothing against Roy and Foley because they both are big, strong men who are pushing the pocket. But what you're seeing now is the Trayvon Walker effect. Teams are having to account for him, which is giving Roy and Foley more one-on-one matchups. They're not being doubled, and they're able to slip their blocks and get into the backfield. Walker just keeps coming and coming and coming. And I know everybody wants to look at Aiden Hutchinson, but go look at his numbers. He's got five and a half sacks on the year. Trevon Walker has four and a half. Walker is getting better, and he is evolving as a player. And look, I've been trying to think of the right adjective, because when you say he's a great player, which I think he is, great is too strong of a word. He is a terrific football player, though. Is he a terrific pass rusher? Not yet, but he's coming. And when you've got to pay attention, where is 44 Man, 41 just comes at you. And Laramie Tunsil's a really good left tackle, and he played okay yesterday. It wasn't like he was dominated by Josh, but it felt like he was. I mean, with the game on the line, on the road, places screaming loud, and here comes Josh Allen, you know, in a year in which he called it a prove-it year for him. Prove it not to himself because he believes in himself, but prove it to the Jaguars how valuable he is. Oh, he earned his contract yesterday. There's no way that he is playing anywhere but Jacksonville in 2024 and beyond. I think he was trending that way, but yesterday in the fourth quarter with the sack and a half and the way that he came up big against a great left tackle, Josh Allen was the man. You've seen every quarterback sack in Jaguars history. He passed Ngakwe yesterday for second all time, still a ways to go to get to Brackens. But do you believe Josh Allen is the second best pass rusher the Jaguars have ever had? Yeah. I do. You know, they've had some guys who have come around here and given them years. You know, Bryce Pop was a factor in 1999. Aaron Campman didn't get enough time in 2010, but you could see that if he had stayed healthy, he would have been able to do it. Hugh, you know, Hugh Douglas was in 2003, nothing at all. Uh, Calais Campbell has the best single season sack record 
So when you talk about about second best pass rusher, Josh Allen is right there because I think he's going to end up with the single season record. Um, Brackens was a freak of nature, just a big, powerful man who could do a lot of different things when he was on the field. But I, I think with Josh, with a contract extension, you'll see him pass Brack and become, you know, the most prolific pass rusher. It's tough to make comparisons because Brack is different than Calais, who's built differently than Josh. But Josh is is he's right there at the top of the list. Final moments, Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, before we get to Cincinnati, the Jaguars are not exactly healthy, man. I mean, Cam Robinson left that game. Tyson Campbell didn't play. Devon Hamilton was a healthy scratch. They don't have Jamal Agnew. I mean, you're talking about impact guys from last year's roster, and they still won an enormous division game on the road. Just certainly speaks to the overall depth of this team. Yeah, they've built a nice roster here. And, and if you're looking for reasons to be even more excited than you were yesterday, it's that Tyson Campbell could be back this week. And Devon Hamilton will be back at some point in this stretch run when the Jaguars are going to need him collapsing the pocket. I'm not sure about Agnew and his shoulder, but he's not on the season-ending IR list. So there's a possibility that you could get him back as well. Um, for all of the grief that Trent Balky took, um, he has done a really nice job with this roster there are still needs but there's always going to be needs uh there are some draft picks that don't pan out but there's always draft picks in every city that don't pan out i think you got to give the guy a lot of credit because he's got a roster you know in less than two seasons that has a shot and i emphasize it's just a shot but they have a shot at home field advantage throughout the playoffs if they take care of business here down the stretch and we have every indication to believe that they're ready to accept that challenge and take care of business down the stretch. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com here with us. Brian, that gets us to Monday night football. Look, that's going to be a desperate Cincinnati football team coming in here. Obviously, no Joe Burrow, and we understand that, but still a lot of talent. They're 5-6. and six. You look at the standings, they almost have to win this game on Monday night to stay in contention for a wild card. I like the Jaguars and the way they're playing, but clearly they're going to have to be ready to play a desperate team on Monday night. Yeah, you know, this game loses some of its luster. It was a Monday night game on the schedule because of Burrow against Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that two superstar young quarterbacks, and I love Joe Burrow. He is a lot of fun to watch when he's playing someone other than the Jaguars. Uh, that being said, their quarterback, if you give him time, there are weapons for him. Jamar Chase, uh, Boyd Higgins, even Drew Sample, the tight end with the touchdown against the Steelers, they're all capable. So if you give him the kind of time that he needs, there are guys who can help him out. And, and Joe Mixon is capable of taking over a game. If we see the Jaguars defensive front that we saw yesterday playing against the Bengals on Monday Night Football, I don't worry about him. I think this team is hyper-focused. I think they're ready to go. I, I know that the Bengals are going to be desperate, but I think that the Jaguars are more than up to the challenge of defending their home field and trying to get home field advantage. This is a team that's ready to take that next step. A win on Monday night, a convincing win, right, where it seems like they control the action, would go a long way towards getting them ready for what's going to be a tough game in Cleveland. And then the Sunday night game two weeks later against the Ravens. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, final question. The fans, you said it's been 12 years since Monday night football. A lot of fans haven't experienced Monday night football. Boy, what a scene that should be at Everbank Stadium a week from tonight. Yeah, and, 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 you know, this town 
whenever the bright lights shine on it. And we saw it last year against the Titans and against the Chargers. This place goes wild. Um, it's a great scene. I expect it to be a great scene on Monday Night Football. And, you know, Sunday Night Football has kind of become that crown jewel. But that's on a day full of football. Monday still stands alone. And ESPN put a ton of money into bringing their broadcast crew, you know, Buck and Aikman together. And they put a lot of energy into their broadcast. This is a huge game for Jacksonville. And I don't have any doubt that it will show up. And as players like to say, show out. And I expect a crazy environment. It's going to be a lot of fun. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I know you're very busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again soon, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. Always look forward to talking to you. There you go, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coming up in about 20 minutes or so, Monday night coaching with Campo, my man Dave Campo. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, and we'll take a look back at the Texans' win yesterday and look ahead to Cincinnati coming up next Monday. We'll get back into the world of college football. We'll talk about the playoff. We'll talk about a big championship Saturday coming up, where Florida goes from here where Florida State goes from here. And I got a really interesting scenario I'm going to throw at you guys. And Seminole fans, I'm curious even your thoughts if this scenario plays out to what the committee may do on Sunday. Monday night football tonight, Chicago and Minnesota. Still scoreless, right, Denmark? That's the last thing I saw. It is still scoreless. Chicago had the ball for like nine minutes on the opening drive and missed a field goal. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the first segment. I look up at the TV. There's 5.50 to go in the first quarter. The Vikings hadn't even had the ball yet. But Chicago missed that kick. So a rapidly moving first quarter, but they are still scoreless. A game Minnesota definitely needs for their NFC playoff hopes. More on the NFL, back into college. we got a lot to do with you till 10 o'clock, Jacksonville. A Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Chicago 3-0 over Minnesota. Just a barn burner going on in the uh, Minneapolis area tonight. How about this for the first quarter? The Bears have run 22 plays. The Minnesota Vikings have run three plays. The entirety of the first quarter. Bears up 3-0. We will keep you updated. So Florida State beats the Gators. Kudos to them. Right on. They were the better team, the more disciplined team, the better coach team. Absolutely great victory for the Knowles. But was it enough for the eye test? I'll tell you what was not good for Florida State, a couple of things. Number one, what was not good is Louisville losing to Kentucky. You would have liked Louisville to be in the top 10 when you played him in the ACC championship game. Kentucky beats them. That'll hurt Louisville's resume, which in turn will hurt Florida State's resume. Well, you say, ah, it doesn't matter. Florida State's undefeated. They're going to get in. All right, well, hang on one second. We'll get there. I'll tell you what else wasn't good for Florida State was Jalen Milrow on fourth and goal from the 31-yard line at Jordan-Hare Stadium having an absolute prayer answered in the corner of that end zone remarkably 10-year anniversary 
of the kick six in that same stadium. They now have the Milrow Miracle as Alabama scores on what essentially was a 31-yard Hail Mary to salvage their year. And now everything is on the line for the Crimson Tide on Saturday when they play Georgia. A lot of Florida State fans are still probably saying, Hacker, it doesn't matter. You go undefeated, you're going to get in. All right, well, let's have that conversation. The, the college football committee, the four-team playoff, and I don't think this is written down anywhere. It's an opinion statement, but I'm just throwing it out there for you to think about. Are the four most deserving teams supposed to get in or are the four best teams supposed to get in? Because to me, I think they're different this year. And quite frankly, this is the first year where they may be different. Normally, I think the committee gets it right. The one year that was at Penn State beat Ohio State, yet Ohio State still got in over Penn State. All right. There was certainly some issues with that. But by and large, I think the committee's done a pretty good job over the duration of this 14 playoff. Again, next year, it wouldn't matter. We're going to have a 12-team playoff. So this is the last year to have this argument. Is it the most deserving versus the best? Stick with this scenario. Washington beats Oregon Friday night, Pac-12 championship game. Washington is undefeated with two wins over Oregon. The Pac-12 is clearly better than the ACC. At that point, Washington's in the playoff. They're ranked higher than Florida State now anyway. Michigan beats Iowa. Michigan's clearly in. So half your spots are gone. If we assume Washington wins and we assume Michigan wins, those are two of your four playoff teams. Now the question, most deserving versus best. What if Alabama beats Georgia? Could definitely happen, right? Certainly plausible. Could potentially even be likely. It's not a foregone conclusion Georgia wins that game. What if Alabama beats Georgia? Then what do you do? You got to put Alabama in, right? A one-loss SEC champion? They got to go. So then what happens... If it's undefeated Florida State with Tate Rodemaker or the defending back-to-back national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, who we'll say in our scenario lost a one-score game to Alabama. What on earth do you do at that point? Who would be more deserving? Well, you could argue Florida State would be more deserving. They were undefeated. Who's the better team? Georgia or Florida State with a backup quarterback? I think that's different. Denmark, you're a diehard college fan. Under my scenario, Washington's in. Michigan's in. Alabama beats Georgia by a field goal. Who are the four playoff teams? Depends how Florida State plays. This feels like uh, Ohio State in, uh, what was it, 2014? I think it was when they won the title. When they had those backup quarterbacks and everybody was in limbo, but then you saw them blow those last two teams out they played. Like in the Big Ten, I think it was Wisconsin that they played. If Florida State has that kind of game this Saturday, I think Florida State goes. But 
If Florida State has a clunky game like they did this Saturday, I don't think you put them in, even if they win. Talking about Cardale Jones, that's a good comparison. I think it would be spectacular theater all night Saturday night and into the morning on Sunday. If Michigan and Washington already have two of the spots locked up, and if Alabama beats Georgia. Because you know Alabama's going. Texas might be saying, hey, wait a minute, what about us over here? I would think Texas and Ohio State are are long shots, probably out of it at this point. But if Alabama beats the Dogs, Alabama gets that third spot, and the fourth spot comes down to the defending back-to-back national champions or Florida State with a backup quarterback. I think you could argue Florida State's more deserving. You could also argue Georgia's clearly better. And which way would the committee go? Wouldn't it be something to have chaos the last year of the four-team playoff? Again, next year, this won't matter. I don't think people will be near as concerned about number 13 getting left at the altar, right? Yes, they will. Not not to this extent. It's, there, it, no. There's going to be more teams at the party that are going to be 9-3, and 8-4 and four right, that are going to win. But be... that's my point. That's exactly my point. This year, you're going to be leaving out either a 13-0 and Florida State or, in my scenario, a 12-1 and Georgia. If you're 9-3 and next year, I don't give a crap if you're upset. You lost 25% of your games. Yeah, but people are still going to be up in arms over. Well, that's their problem. Know, I'm SEC talking about. And, no, that's their. I'm talking about me. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I know, but you, 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 people are still going to be up in arms. People are up in arms whenever the 65th team doesn't yeah, get but in. You know in what, college though? Basketball. They get like, over that five minutes after selection. Yeah, Sunday. they do. But, I mean, Jay Billis and all those dudes always get up in arms over Wichita well, State. That's, that's, you know. their, that's their job. Yeah, they're yeah, they're commentators know, but, for college basketball. I mean, basketball. This, this whole thing that, oh, well, we're not going to have as much controversy because it's 12 teams. No, more people are going to be invited to the party, which means we're going to have more controversy. Right, but, again, a 12-1 team would not be left out next year no a 13 and 0 team will not be left out next year again if you're nine and three and you get left out or even if you're 10 and two and you get left out in a 12 team playoff I'm sorry you lost two games you lost three games that sucks that's the way it happens if you're a 13 and 0 Florida State or a 12 and 1 Georgia that gets left out because there's only four spots to the dance in the final year of it yeah you have every right to be upset because you would clearly be in in a 12 team scenario so I just think it would be great to have chaos on Sunday. And for our status point, for where we are in Jacksonville, to have it be Georgia fans versus Florida State fans before that selection show starts would be juicy. Now, if Oregon beats Washington, if Texas blows out the Big 12 championship game, I mean, there's, a, there's still a lot more things that could happen. But the most simple way for me to explain chaos to you, Washington wins, Michigan wins, Alabama beats Georgia, Florida State beats Louisville. Who are the four teams at that point? Is it the most deserving or is it the best? And I think maybe for the first time, that might be two separate arguments this year. One hour down, one hour to go, Jacksonville. We're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Coming up next, back into the world of the National Football League, Monday night coaching with Campo. My friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. Let's review Jags Texans. Let's preview 
Jags Bengals one week from tonight. Monday night coaching with Campo next. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, Campo's coaching corner on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-3 and three on the year after a gigantic road division win yesterday in Houston. And Monday Night Football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in 12 years, one week from tonight, when the Cincinnati Bengals roll in. With all that, let me welcome in my friend Dave Campo. It's always Monday Night Coaching with Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He joins us every Monday here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. I love Victory Mondays. There's no doubt about that. And, Coach, just speak to the game itself. I mean, two good young teams back and forth yesterday. It comes up literally a foot short on the field goal that could have tied it with 30 seconds to go. What a game to be a part of. Yeah, that was a great ball game and, and down to the wire, you know, and, and it comes down to three or four plays during the game that, that many times, you know, make the difference. And obviously the field goal, uh, that was a long field goal. I, I'm not sure I agreed with the decision when you've got a number one picket quarterback and a 58-yarder when the kids never kicked a 50-yarder. But that play, that one play was the difference in the football game. He, if he makes it, you go into overtime, you don't know what's going to happen. He misses it, you win. So it was a it was a great uh, game and uh, against two good football teams. Dave Campo here with us. Coach Trevor Lawrence in the last two weeks has thrown for over 620 yards through the air. Why all of a sudden is the passing game flourishing? Well, I think a lot of it is uh, – I think it's a couple things. Number one, I think the offensive line – Given the quarterback time is a critical uh, situation, and they did that uh, last couple ball games. They've been able to keep him pretty mu- upright, and I. And then I really think that the combination of Zay Jones and Ridley on the outside opens up a lot of things, including their ability to get open because you you don't know which one to double. They're both playmakers, so uh, even though Zay only had. Uh, one catch yesterday, he uh, his presence on the field makes a big difference. So I think the combination of those things, and I'll tell you, Trevor's getting better. Trevor's confidence right now, if you remember that one ball that he threw, it was a fastball. It, you couldn't even see the ball caught because there were two people there. You didn't know the guy caught it until, it, until it, the play was over. Uh, he has confidence that he can make the throws now. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that, that he's an outstanding player. You know, Coach, you talk about distributing the football. Yesterday, the Jaguars had six guys that had at least 30 yards receiving. Six different guys had 30 yards receiving. And if you look at it as a season in totality, you got Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, and Calvin Ridley, all with 47 catches or more. I mean, the bottom line is Trevor is getting the football around to all of his different playmakers at a very good rate. Well, the only time I've seen him have a, a bad game is when he tries to force balls, and we don't have to. You know, we've got the receivers that if we just utilize the receivers, which he's good at, that's when we will be successful because there's too much firepower there for the defense. You can't 
load up on one guy. You can't say, okay, this is a critical situation. This is the guy you're going to go to. You know, they can go to any of those guys in a critical situation and have a chance to make a play. So that's what makes our offense dangerous, and uh, that's good. If we can just get the running game going a little bit better, we will be a really dangerous football team. You know, to that point, let's talk about the offensive line. There were reports out this afternoon that Cam Robinson, who left the game yesterday with a knee injury, does not appear to be season-ending, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, but it appears to be anywhere from three to six weeks. Barring any setbacks, he will likely be ready for the playoffs. And I guess the question, Coach, did you see enough from Walker Little at left tackle and Ezra Cleveland at left guard yesterday to feel okay if Cam Robinson indeed misses some time. Yeah, I feel good about that, those two guys. I know it's, you know, obviously it's the first time that they the two of them played together. You know, uh, I'm not concerned with little at tackle other than he, he had to get used to it again, and he had a couple penalties that you got to eliminate. But as far as how he plays at tackle, I've never really had a problem with him at tackle. Now, with Ezra Cleveland, the jury's out a little bit. I thought he played excellent yesterday. And I think in some ways in the run game, when we did have a couple of popped runs, it was on that side. And so for me, I think, you know, he is a guy that from experience and from what I've heard from, you know, people that are close to him, uh, he's a pretty darn good player. So at this point right now, with some time, that offensive line, that combination that's there right now might be the best because I really don't think Walker Little is a guard. So as we go forward, I feel okay with that. Now it, it hurts the depth a little bit. All of a sudden, Hans becomes, you know, a guy as far as depth player, whereas I thought Cleveland would have been a great depth player. So other than that, you know, I think it's business as usual, and, and hopefully we'll get better and better there because of communication alone. Monday night coaching with Campo, my guy Dave Campo, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. And, you know, Trent Baalke got ripped a little bit for not bringing in a pass rusher. And when he brought in Ezra Cleveland, people kind of thought, all right, well, that's interesting. Well, good heavens. It appears it's a great thing they made that move now. Well, it's definitely a a big move. I thought it was a good move at the time because, you know, depth-wise in the offensive line is huge especially when you got Little coming off an injury. You had Cam coming off an injury. You got a rookie right tackle. Uh, you know, that, that depth is really important in this league. And when you get a team that does not have a great offensive line, uh, when I say great, a good offensive line, uh, one example is yesterday's offensive line for the, for the Texans. If we were more disciplined on defense, they, we'd have gotten about six sacks in that ball game because we we allowed that guy to get outside too many times, but their offensive line isn't even close to ours. Coach, let's get to your side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, and Josh Allen yesterday was a ferocious monster. And, and you want to talk about you know defensive player of the year conversation. I'm willing to have that with you. One of the best defensive uh, seasons in Jaguar history. I'm willing to have that with you. 12 sacks in 11 ball games. You know he's going to get more. He's going to break the single-season sack record that Calais Campbell holds. I believe it's 14 and a half. Josh Allen has been a force this year. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, everybody says, well, it's a contract year. No kidding. 
uh, you know, I, I'm okay with that, I guess. But in reality, I think having uh, Harris inside of them, and Harris is really doing a pretty good job uh, rushing the passer. We're getting pressure on the passer. We're not getting the total sack number that you would like, but we're, we are pressuring the quarterback. I think walk a little on the other side. They, it's hard. It's kind of like the two outside guys at corner at uh, wide receiver. You know, if you got two guys on each edge that put a little pressure on the quarterback and then somebody up the middle that can give you something, that opens up a lot of things. And I think uh, there's no question yesterday, you know, not only did uh, Allen get the sacks, but he, he was harassing the quarterback most of the day. The reason he was scrambling around was not because he wanted to scramble around. It was because we were putting pressure on, and a lot of that was a combination of all those guys. But Josh obviously had is having the best uh, – I wasn't here for his first year, rookie year, but he's having the best year since I've seen him by far. You know, Coach, that Houston team, I had some doubts about them before yesterday. They're good. I mean, that's a good win for the Jaguars to go in there and win. And the one thing I came away with from that game is there's a chance you see him again in the playoffs. I mean, certainly. But Stroud and Lawrence for years to come, that is going to be something in this division. There's no question that that kid has something. I mean, he has the ability to – he's got accuracy. He can throw the deep ball. He's, he's a really accurate deep ball passer. Although the one he threw to Schultz, the pressure got to him a little bit he overthrew it and that could have been a critical one but he's a he's a seems like he has really pretty good uh, poise he's he's very maneuverable I think he knows when to run and when to uh, hang in there Uh, I think on some of the scrambles he's a little quick getting out of there so that's partially the rookie part of it but he's very talented he seems like a really smart guy and a pretty good leader so the only thing that really burns me up is I'm reading some stuff today on some of the national media, and they're talking about him being better than Trump. You know, come on, man. You know, this is the guy's first year, and and we got a guy that all he. So you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's gonna be a criti- you know a big game from here on out for a while because they're two excellent quarterbacks, and if you throw Richardson in there, uh, when he's healthy guys in the league that that uh in that in that division that can play for a lot of years so heck i'm a big one on the better the teams are in the division the better you are when you get to the playoffs if you're one of those guys because competition is what makes you into a good football team final moments with dave campo monday night coaching with campo here on hacker after dark coach two weeks ago you and I had the conversation after the sky was falling after the San Francisco game. 34-3, people were panicking, and we said, look, take a deep breath. You beat Tennessee. You beat Houston. You put a stranglehold on the division. You'd be 8-3 and three at that point, and the national folks will come back for Monday night football when Cincinnati rolls in. And that is exactly what the Jaguars did. They put that 49er game behind them as best they could, They got two huge division wins. They now essentially have a three-game lead in the division, including tiebreakers with six games to go. And now there is no doubt Monday night football for the first time in 12 years, Jaguars-Bengals next week should be a whole lot of fun. Well, I think the positive thing, number one, it's going to be a fantastic night. And, And I'm excited because I'm excited for the city of Jacksonville. It's kind of like having that first playoff game 
last year in Jacksonville. You know, the, the city deserves it. Uh, this football team, in my opinion, is capable now, and I use that term capable, not guaranteed, that they can play with anybody in the league right now if they play their game and they don't make a lot of uh, critical mistakes during the ball game. So this is a real exciting ball game. I, I guarantee you we should be excited that they didn't put this game on Monday Night Football for Browning. They kept this Monday Night Football game on there because of Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguar football team. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great night, and hopefully our guys are going to be ready to go. That's a, that's a great point. They could have flexed it. They did not, and obviously they didn't flex it because of Trevor and the Jaguars. Speaking of Cincinnati, look, obviously Joe Burrow being out is devastating to that franchise. There's still talent there, Coach. They got a decent defense. Their coordinator is very highly regarded. They got Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, and we'll see if T. Higgins is back. I mean, there are, there are some dudes on that team. So, I mean, Browning yesterday wasn't terrible. He wasn't good, but he wasn't terrible. They end up losing by a touchdown to Pittsburgh. But the Jaguars have to come ready to play because my concern at 5-6, and six, Coach, that is a desperate Cincinnati team that's coming in here next Monday night. Yeah, there's no question. I, I, listen, every game is big, and this is certainly a really big one because of, obviously, the, the, the ramifications of it, but they have talent, and every team has talent in that football league. There's only 1% of all college players that play pro football, so you still have to come back and, and go after it like it's a full house there. And with Higgins, if he's back, and Chase, you know, that's two outstanding players. Mixon's a really good running back. I don't think their offensive line is great, which I think is a plus for us. On defense, you know, their two ends, I don't know what the uh, status of Hubbard is, but Hubbard has four sacks, and Hendrickson has ten and a half. So they do have some players on that ball club that can play. As a matter of fact, uh, the the one cornerback, I can't think of his name, is it, is it, is it Britt? A cornerback for them? Yes, I believe it is. Yep. Yeah, he has four interceptions. You know, they've got 12 interceptions. So this is going to be a tough ball game. They're all tough from here on out because every one of them is a playoff game as far as I'm concerned. They have to win to to keep going and even have a chance to maybe be higher in the seeding. Coaches, we say goodbye. Josh Allen said it in the postgame locker room yesterday. It's going to be his first appearance on Monday Night Football. In fact, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, you could a lot of these guys, it'll be their first ever Monday night football game. How important is it for Doug Peterson and this staff to kind of keep the emotions in check this week and make sure that they don't do things they're not supposed to do come game time? Because you have to know these guys are going to be fired up to get out there in front of the national TV audience. Well, you know, I think Doug does a pretty good job, Hack, you know, about, you know, keeping things in perspective. You know, and I think that that's one thing that a head coach, that's what his responsibility is, that we have to be us. And that's play the way we play. And it and it really doesn't matter. He did it this week going into the game. He was one of the first ones to say, hey, look, this is a big game because it's a division. It's not the last game of the season trying to get into the playoffs. You know, we we have to stay within ourselves, play within ourselves. And I think Trevor Lawrence is one that has to continue to have his 
kind of steely eyes because, you know, he doesn't have to do things that are completely out of the box. He just has to be himself, and that's what he normally is, and I expect that same thing from him. Next week, we will have our first edition of Tuesday night coaching with Campo because the Jaguars play one week from tonight. I know we'll all be down there next week. Cannot wait for Monday night football, and the Jaguars have an opportunity with a primetime home win to get to 9-3 and three on the year. You hear Dave Campo all over the 1010XL airwaves, including right here every Monday night with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I know you're busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk next week, my friend. You got it, Hacker. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, times appear to be good now. The arrow is pointing up for the Jaguars. There were certainly a lot of down times here for this organization over the last 15 or so years. Go down about 120 miles to Orlando, Florida, our neighbors down there in central Florida, Can't the same thing be said for the Orlando Magic? Awful. A majority of the time over the last decade plus, yet a very loyal, passionate fan base that filled up the Amway Center night after night to see loss after loss, much like you did here in Jacksonville to fill up that stadium, even though you knew a majority of the time over the last decade you didn't have a chance of winning. So loyal, passionate fan bases... Two franchises professionally that have been awful for the better part of 15 years, but both are turning the corner. Trevor Lawrence here in Jacksonville, and that young nucleus has the Jaguars at 8-3. and three. Likewise, down in Orlando, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, and that Orlando Magic team in the NBA, winners of seven in a row, they sit at 12-5 and five on the year. I want to do a little bit of that. Compare and contrast Orlando-Jacksonville, the Magic and the Jaguars with my friend Dante Marcatelli. You see him on Bally Sports alongside David Steele and Jeff Turner covering the Orlando Magic. Let's talk about the hottest young team in the NBA so far this year. And let's talk a little bit about the parallels, the similarities between the Magic and the Jaguars. Dante Marcatelli, Bally Sports, next Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. You know, the Jaguars are experiencing a ton of success at 8-3 and three right now in the NFL. But just to our south, our neighbors in Orlando and the NBA, have you seen what the Orlando Magic are doing? The Magic are 12-5, and five, winners of seven in a row. They already have wins over the Lakers, over the Celtics, over the defending world champion Nuggets, just to name a few. It is the hottest young team in the league. With that, let's go to Orlando. My friend Dante Marcatelli, you see him on Bally Sports. He does a terrific job with the Orlando Magic, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Dante, how you doing? Ryan, I appreciate the intro, my friend. It's always great to catch up with you. And, uh, yeah, how about the start to the season? It's, you know, the first 19 games were one of the hardest stretches of the season. And you're thinking, okay, can you come through 9 and 10 or 8 and 11, something like that? And here they sit 12 and 5. This has been a great start to the year. Now, Dante, I tell you this every time you're on. Uh, 1989, my uncle took me to the Orlando Arena when I was six, seven years old at the time. 
and I saw Scott Skiles and Anthony Bowie yes. and Nick Anderson and Greg Kite and Dennis Scott, and I was hooked, man. I was hooked. And I have <laughs> suffered with this team for 35 mm-hmm. years. And let's be honest, there have been some down times as of late, but this young nucleus with Paolo and Franz and Mo Wagner and Isaac and go on down the line, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, boy, they look really good right now, Dante. Well, I think that's what's been the the most fun for this whole process for me is to see how rewarding it's been for Magic fans. Because you go back to 2012, you know, when the decision is made to move on from Dwight and you send him off and then they're going to do a rebuild and and the subsequent rebuilds or retools, whatever you want to call them, that have happened since – uh, it's been tough. It's been it's been a hard road for Magic fans. There's no question about it. It's been a hard road for the players on the team. Um, so I, I but they've hung in there. And Magic fans are so loyal. And I've always said they're one of the best and smartest fan bases uh, in the NBA because they know they watch and, and they follow and and they know. And I'm, I'm telling you, those guys that you mentioned, the young team, right? They're 20 average age, 24 years old. They're one of the I think sixth or seventh youngest team in the NBA. And there were vibes in that building. The last two, three minutes of the game against the Denver Nuggets, the defending champs, Nikola Jokic is doing his thing, right? Another 30-point triple-double. Uh, so he's doing his thing. And there was the there were 2009 vibes in that building. There really were. There really were. And I, and I give fans all the credit because it hasn't been easy, but they're so hungry. They're so loyal, and they're so excited about what's happening. They want it so bad, right? And, and they're getting it. They're getting a taste. Now, how far will it go or where does it end up will, will remain to be seen. But the sky's the limit. They're just scratching the surface on what they can do offensively. Once they figure that part of it out, I, I say watch out. But they're, they're still so young, and there'll be some adversity, and there'll be some bumps along the way. But uh, right now, th- those guys are all coming together, and it's a joy to watch. Dante Marcatelli of Valley Sports covering the Orlando Magic. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dante, the number one pick. A lot of hits, but some misses over the years for a lot of NBA teams. It's always a crapshoot to an extent. But, boy, the Magic found one in Paolo Bancaro. He has been nothing short of fantastic a year and change into his career. Well, he's 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 at five straight games, he's gone for 20 or more points. Had a little bit of a slow start to the year, and I think he was trying to figure things out, right, coming off the big summer with Team USA. Uh, and then after last year, rookie of the year, and 20 points a game uh, was his average as rookie. And, and now he's number one bold letters at the top of every scouting report, right? So every, team, every single game you go into, the opposing team has got him marked number one right then he felt that he felt that for the first couple weeks of the season and then he figured it out then he's become Paolo of old and they're now eight and one uh when he gets 20 points in a game so he's he's figured out he's been able to carry this team he's got two game winners right he had a spin move in the lane in Utah went to the left hand and that was the game winner to to win a tough game on the road in Utah uh, at the end of a road trip right so that's the other thing the resolve the poise of this team you know there's stretches where he'll just put this group on his back and he'll play bully ball and get right to the basket right to the rim uh he'll get to the free throw line and now he's stepping in the three-pointers I mean he's I mean, he's shooting well over 50% from beyond the arc the last five or six games, and certainly during this seven-game run uh, where they've won seven straight. So uh, he's – and then he's had the game winner in Chicago where he backed down Caruso and hit that little turnaround jumper in the lane. So he likes the big moments. He's a gamer. Uh, the, you know, the, the better the competition, the more he realizes he probably has to do, and he kind of picks and chooses his spots wisely. 
and he's figuring out, but he's, he's become a much better playmaker than he was last year. So he's fine to get his when he needs to, but he's fine to facilitate and set up. He's a terrific rebounder. And I think playing with team USA, I think, you know, he, you know, he's not, you've got Anthony Edwards, you've got you know, Halliburton, you've got all these other scorers. They didn't need him to score on that team. So his role was kind of the backup center, defend, rebound, play, make, and that's what he did. And that helped him. I think that helped him huge uh, coming into this year to kind of work on the, to kind of well-round his game. And we're seeing that, you know, we're, we've been the beneficiaries, much better defender. He, he, he plays very hard on that end. Uh, always been a good rebounder, but the vision, the way he's setting his teammates up uh, has made a huge leap from last year. And the guy can score on anyone. Uh, and he's feeling, you know, he's feeling so confident right now, as they all are, having won seven consecutive games. Dante Marcatelli of Bally Sports. Dante, I love the Nick Vucevic, right? I loved everything about Nick Vucevic. He's probably on my top five Orlando Magic players that I just liked to watch. It was time for him to probably go. And as a result of him going to Chicago, the Bulls sent a couple of draft picks back, and one of those draft picks turned into Franz Wagner. How that guy lasted to number eight in the draft that year, I have absolutely no idea, but that dude is an absolute stud. Well, I think Jeff Weltman loved him so much. I, you know, if you ask him, I probably say I thought about taking him at five, maybe because he because he liked him so much. So you're right. You know, just to your point, I think they thought the world of him. Uh, but instead, they take Jalen Suggs five, who everybody thought would go four to Toronto, and now he's made a huge jump this year. But there's something about Franz ever since he burst onto the scene here in Orlando, where you knew he's a guy that's about the right things. He's a team first guy. He's a solid defender, right? So he's, you know, he's not going to be a liability out there on the defensive end. He plays terrific defense, um, but he has a, a way to score. He's got a knack for getting to the rim. Uh, he can knock down an open three. Well, then we saw somewhere towards the end of his rookie year and well on into years two and three, the guy's unstoppable when he puts the ball on the floor with that Euro step. I mean, it's, he takes these unorthodox moves and routes to the basket that defenders aren't prepared for. And he's able to dribble right by a guy and uh, get in the air and hang and all the time. He's one of the best finishers at the rim in the NBA. And now he can knock down an open three. I mean, last night, he didn't take a he didn't take his he didn't take a shot in the first quarter. He was just a facilitator, right? So he's passing the ball around, getting guys involved. Then he decides to shoot in the second quarter, and he makes nine consecutive shots. He started the game nine for nine, uh, and then finishes ten for fifteen for thirty points. I mean, he's just fantastic. And and again, you know that guy's a competitor. He wants to win. He's one of the best finishers in the game. And you know, I I still think I still think Ryan he should have been rookie of the year over Scotty Barnes. I'll I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I'll I'll debate that until you know, the end of time, but. Uh, he didn't get that, and it's probably partly because of team record at the time. But he, he, I think you can say we got the best player in that draft in 2021, and you certainly got the best player in the draft in 2022 in Paolo Banchero. And one of the great stories that, that I get it, Orlando, you know, it won't be covered as much as it were New York or L.A. or Chicago, but the Wagner brothers, Mo Wagner two years ago, Dante, signed a 10-day contract to the Orlando yes. Magic. And I remember yes. the first night he was there, I think Cole Anthony was doing an interview with you, and Cole Anthony's like, yeah, this guy came in, I didn't even really know who he was, and he played really <laughs> well, you know. And now fast forward two years later, he might be the sixth man of the year. I mean, he's in the conversation for it. Why Mo Wagner never locked on with anybody else is their loss and the Magic's gain. 
I completely agree, and it's it's him and it's him and Cole. I mean, I think both of them are going to be fighting for six man of the year when it's all said and done. Uh, but you look at centers; he leads all centers in total points off the bench. He leads all centers and free throws off the bench. He's the best backup big in the NBA, and I think he's probably a starter uh, if he needed to be. You know, I, I think he would be a. I think he'd be just fine as a starter as well. The knock on him was always on the defensive end. Is he going to defensive rebound enough? He's not a big shot blocker. I, I think he blocked thirteen shots last year the entire season so people look at that and, and you get caught up in okay well is he going to be able to protect the rim is he gonna... there's so many metrics that people look at and a guy like mo wagner you, you you can't do it with the metrics it's it's the yes there's tangibles now and point per possession he's number one in the nba so if you look at the 13 points that he gets in his 18 minutes off the bench, points per possession, he's number one in the league, which is pretty impressive uh, which what he, with what he does. But he's one of the best rebounding bigs and offensive rebounds and things like that. But you can't measure heart, Ryan. You cannot measure heart. And this guy just has a, a nose for what his team needs. And that game against the Boston Celtics, he scored 13 of the first 14 points to start the fourth quarter. And that's at a point when it was about a two or three point game. And he blew the thing wide open. He goes for 27 points. Uh, you just can't underestimate what that guy means. And not to mention, now he's 26 years old. You know, in about 26, 27, 28 is when guys figure it out in this league, right? The game slows down. They know what's expected. And he's coming right into his prime. So bringing him back is huge. And not to mention, you give a comfort level for Franz, right? Who's kind of a quieter guy. But he wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, he takes charges. He's one of the best in the league at that. And he is relentless. He goes after every rebound. And he just makes the right play every time. I was <laughs> so fortunate to have a guy like Mo Bogger, the hands down the best backup big in the entire NBA. And, and I think one of the best bigs in general because of the things that he can do. And not only that, not only did they sign him to a 10 day, you got to think about this. You know, he gets drafted by the Lakers. He's part of that Anthony Davis trade, right? So he's sent to Washington, the big five team trade. So he, and he had some good years. He had some good years there um, coming off the bench for them. And at times when he needed to start, then he gets traded. He, he's part of another multiple team trade that ends up, uh, and where he ends up with the Celtics. He plays nine games, about five minutes a night, and they cut him. He sat unsigned for 11 days, for 11 days before the Magic signed him to a 10-day contract and took a flyer on him. Then he sat there contemplating everything. Am I going to have to go overseas? What do I have to do to, to be an NBA player? I mean, that was there was some soul-searching that was happening. Anybody could have had him for two weeks. Magic took a chance on him, and they're reaping the benefits now. I mean, we are huge, huge. You hate, you hate when Mo Wagner's on the other team. <laughs> He's one of those guys you love to have on your team. Final moments, Dante Marcatelli of Bally Sports. Dante, they're 12-5. and five. They've won seven in a row, and they've done that without Markel Fultz and without Wendell yeah. Carter Jr. I mean, they're minus two starters, and they've won seven in a row. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of the story here, but when Carter and Fultz come back, I mean, good grief what this team may do. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're exactly right because the start of the buzz now is, you know, what do you do? How do you find time for all these things? And I'm with you. I think that's fantastic. Get your guys back. Those are your two starters, right? Wendell is as good a defensive player as there is uh, for a big in the NBA. And, you know, one of the, I think probably the most underrated big in the entire NBA. And then Markel Fultz is your starting point guard who can get absolutely anywhere out there on the floor. You know, you, right now you're, you're making it work with the rookie and Anthony Black who's playing fantastic. But when he comes off the floor, 
you know, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs. These guys are they're not true point guards. They can play the point guard position, but you go a lot to Franz and Paolo. And Markel is your probably your only true point guard that you have on the roster. And now you get him back and facilitating even more the spots that he can get to. So I, I agree with you. I think it's such a luxury to have where, you know, Coach Mosley can look at it and say, wow, I got my full complement of players. I can go wherever I want to. Now it's up to me to figure out the minutes for everybody, and that's certainly a, a challenge that he welcomes. But, yeah, let's get those guys back, and, and let's see what we can do. You haven't had Markel for nine straight games. You haven't had Wendell uh, since game five. And somehow you've been able to, to rattle off this win streak. So let's get those guys back healthy. You've missed Jonathan Isaac for a handful of games. He wasn't able to play last night. Um, you know, everybody held their breath when, when he fell to the floor uh, on Friday against the Celtics. But he popped back up, pumped his fist in the air, and we're like, all right, but it was just still a little sore still, uh, a little tender that ankle uh, two days later. So expect him to be back hopefully on Wednesday and then start rolling in some of these other pieces. And then, you know, knock on wood, Ryan, that's something we've not had here in Orlando for the last three years is health. But if you can get those two guys back and stay relatively healthy the rest of the way, I think the sky's the limit. You're coming up on a quarter of the season where, you know, you're three games away from the quarter of the season where you, you have to take notice. And nationally, everybody has to start looking and saying, okay, what they're doing down there is real. Dante, final question, and it's interesting, the parallels. Uh, I always thought I agree with you. The Orlando Magic fans, for all the down years they've had, and they have been down, that arena was full, man. Now, that yes. arena is fantastic, and Church Street, and I'm a big fan of Corona's Cigar Bar, just so you know. So I'm there a big fan okay. of the Church Street area, right? But but right. the whole game day atmosphere. Up here in Jacksonville, kind of the same thing. The Jaguar fan yes. base has been very, very loyal and passionate, but the team has been awful for 13 out of the last 15 years. And now all of a sudden, like on the same timeline, Trevor Lawrence comes to Jacksonville, Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner come to Orlando, and now both teams seem to be the arrow absolutely pointing up. And I get the sense being here in Jacksonville that a lot of Jaguar fans are very quietly starting to flock to the Orlando Magic as well. Well, I, I, that's great to hear. And I think you're right. And we've always had great basketball fans uh, up there in the Jacksonville area. You know, D. Brown is back uh, working at his alma mater and got in the Dolphins now. So uh, he's back there and a former Magic player. And, and so there's a fan base that comes with that. But uh, we've always been, you know, very proud of our basketball fans that are up there in the Jacksonville area. And, you know, we, we just... You know, it's it's been a struggle, though. You know, the last ten or twelve years, and I think we're you know we've had some good teams. We've been to the playoffs and and had some success in in the last decade or so, but uh, not like this. Not a start like this where we're getting super excited this early in the season. Um, and that's great. It's it's kind of recaptivating everybody in that area. And then down here, you, you're right, Ryan. Everybody, it's a football state. It is. A, they they love their football. It goes down to high school, high school, college, uh, and the pros. And there are, as you know, there are a ton of Jags fans here in Central Florida uh, that are pumped uh, about them returning. And every single game, it's just like. You know, you're, you're watching and you're thinking, okay, is you know, are they going to be able to pull this one out? Or are they going to be able to hold on? Are we going to be able to get a missed field goal at the end of the game <laughs> as they're coming down to try it? Or is C.J. Stroud going to put this thing away? You know, what kind of heartbreak could await? You know, kind of similar to, to what would happen for the Magic the last couple of years. But they've avoided that. And, and what the Jags have done is fantastic. And there's a lot of excitement down here in Central Florida for that. So, listen, listen, rising tide lifts all boats. And I think the better all these teams do, uh, it's better for all the fans here in 
in Central Florida, no question about it. So continued success for the Jags. I think this would be a fantastic playoff run, and we can't wait to root from down here in in Central Florida. And and hopefully we're talking playoffs with this Magic team this year as well. Oh, that would be absolutely fantastic. And there's always been a really good relationship between the Jaguars and the Magic. You always see the social media back and forth between the two organizations, which I love to see. Dante Marcatelli of Bally Sports, you see him with David Steele, Jeff Turner and the great crew they have there covering the Orlando Magic. Dante, I know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time, and we'll do it again real soon. You got it, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Keep up the great work, and uh, let's get you down here. We'll see you here for a, for a Magic game, and and uh, best of luck to the Jags. I know you're enjoying the heck out of this with both of these teams having some success. So uh, let's be talking about long playoff runs for both. Have a great one. And thank you to Dante Marcatelli of Valley Sports for joining us tonight. Here on Hacker After Dark is, yeah, the similarities between the Jaguars and the Magic I think are pretty big, right? Both teams have struggled for the better part of the last 15 years. Both fan bases have been very loyal and have remained very passionate. And both teams now have young superstars that are helping them turn the corner. Trevor Lawrence right here in Jacksonville. Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner down in Orlando. And you all of a sudden look, the Jaguars at 8-3. and three, the magic at 12 and 5 it's been a lot of fun so far this season big takeaways from the evening here on hacker after dark well first and foremost the jaguars now run the afc south as was the case last year they are the defending division champion with that win yesterday in houston took an absolute stranglehold on the division when you incorporate tiebreakers and the such they're basically 3 games up on both Houston and Indianapolis with six games remaining. So now it's the time to obviously take care of business, right? I'm not saying that. you got to take care of business. But it's time to look at bigger fish that are up ahead, and that is seeding in the playoffs. It's after Thanksgiving. I think we can say the word playoffs now. The Jaguars would be the three seed if it started today, but they have the same record as the two seed, Kansas City. The Chiefs just own that tiebreaker. And Baltimore is nine and three. So one, two, three, and four, if you include Miami, are all tied in the loss column. And of course, the Jaguars get a backup quarterback a week from tonight when Cincinnati rolls in. Tough game up in Cleveland, but a backup quarterback in Cleveland because Deshaun Watson's out. And then you get Baltimore here on a Sunday night in what could be a huge game and potentially a game that decides the number one seed in the AFC. So it is all right in front of Jacksonville as they have put themselves in a spectacular position heading into the month of December. Well, that'll just about wrap it up. We've been very busy on a Monday night, as you would imagine here on Hacker After Dark. Certainly want to thank you guys for hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, my man Dante Marcatelli of Bally Sports. You see him alongside Jeff Turner and David Steele on all the Orlando Magic broadcasts. Really appreciate him taking time out for us tonight. Thank you to Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo, the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, and he always joins us each and every Monday evening. And back in hour number one, my friend Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com to recap Houston and preview what should be a big night here in Jacksonville One week from tonight, as for the first time in 12 years, Monday Night Football returns 
to Duval County. We'll be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me, man? I mean, Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.